The close and complex relationship between musical experience and trance has often been a subject of fascination for music scholars. From the religious context of spirit possession within Haitian Vodun practices to the trance-like experiences of dancers in EDM clubs, deep listeners, as Judith Becker wrote, are profoundly moved by a process that is simultaneously physical and psychological. These somatic and cognitive responses to musical activity emerge from the interwoven nature of culturally bounded notions of aesthetics and the human body. You're listening to Ethnomusicology Today, a podcast produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology devoted to the exploration of contemporary issues in global music studies. I'm Trevor Harvey. In this episode, we talk with Juan Diego Diaz Meneses regarding his article Listening with the Body and Aesthetics of Spirit Possession Outside the Tejeu. Through an analysis of performances by Orchestra Jumpiles, a Brazilian jazz ensemble from the northeastern state of Bahia, Juan Diego investigates how initiates of Brazilian candomblé hear and respond to sacred aesthetic markers within secular contexts. Before we discuss the particulars of your research on how a candomblé initiate hears and responds to Afro-Bahian music in a secular setting, tell us about the history of candomblé and its significance in contemporary Brazilian society. Of course. Candomblé is an umbrella term used in, uh, in various parts of Brazil, particularly in the northeast part of the country, to refer to various types of syncretic religious practices that involved uh, African uh, religious practices brought by those who were enslaved in, uh, in brought to Brazil, that uh, also involves uh, Catholicism and in many cases, Amerindian belief practices. It was mostly formalized uh, during the 19th century in, uh, in Bahia and in other places of, of Brazil too. But, but the particular type of candomblé that I'm interested in this, in my research is, uh, is from Bahia. And in terms of uh, the significance of candomblé in, in Brazilian society, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very, candomblé is seen as one of the places where that African-Brazilian heritage is preserved in its purest way. And uh, this uh, kind of place it in a privileged position in, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what is considered to be African and uh, particularly in Bahia, it's been a source of inspiration for many groups, musical and, and other kinds of artistic groups that have tried to connect with that African heritage in many, ta- in many cases. Uh, what to what some people called re-Africanization of, of uh, cultural practices and uh, or all sorts of, of, of projects that have to do with black consciousness in, in, in Brazil. So what is the role that music and dance play in within this uh, a complex of, of, of religious cultural practices of candomblé? Music in candomblé in a more broad sense is, uh, is uh, very similar to what we have in other Black Atlantic religions, it involves polyrhythmic drumming, songs in, uh, that in many cases have words in, in African languages that, that were spoken by uh, those who were enslaved in Brazil. It, it includes Yoruba, that includes uh, languages from the Congo-Angola complex, uh, includes languages from the present-day togo Benin and Ghana area. The main purpose of a candomblé ceremony is to summon deities so that uh, people can experience them in during elaborate ceremonies. Music has the power to 
precisely do that, to, to summon uh, deities, to bring them. Uh, and it's particularly the master drummer who's, who's believed to, to have that, uh, that ability to, through particular uh, musical variations that are played in the, in the, in the drums, organizing those, those variations in certain sequences and, and play them at with the right emotion at the right moment they can uh, they can trigger this uh, this uh, connection of the dancers with those deities that come down and, and manifest themselves through the body of the of initiates you have a clip that demonstrates this tell us about the musical example we were about to hear okay so the following group is called congo gioro it's a group that is used in candomblé ceremonies and uh, at the beginning we're gonna hear uh, the bell, which is called the agogo in, in this tradition, playing a timeline pattern with one uh, drum playing an ostinato pattern at the same time. Then a few seconds later, a second drum will enter playing another ostinato pattern. And in the end, a low pitched drum, which is the master drum, will play some variations. So here we have four different parts forming a polyrhythmic texture. These are ceremonies where you have a sequence. The, the ceremonies can last uh, somewhere between three and five hours, let's say, where music is constantly played and dancers gradually uh, start to get possessed. And, uh, and it's, it's precisely music and the songs that facilitates that, uh, that uh, transition, let's say. And so let's listen to an example of a Candomblé song. The song that we're going to hear is uh, dedicated to a deity called Shango, and it is accompanied by a groove called Vasi, which is a very common groove used in uh, most candomblé houses in, uh, in Bahia and in other parts of Brazil. An important thing to, to bear in mind is that the text of the song is in uh, Yoruba, a Western, uh, West African language that was disseminated across the Atlantic uh, in the last stage of the transatlantic slave trade. <laughs> article doesn't actually focus on the practices of candomblé within the context of the worship houses, but you're actually focusing on uh, these aesthetics of spirit possession beyond that context. So yeah, so in my, in, my, in my research from which this, this article uh, came out, I tried to understand uh, Afro, this Afro-Bayan musical universe, if you wish, through this one orchestra, through Humpilés. So I'm, I'm, my interest in spirit possession comes from trying to understand how an initiate, initiated dancer from Candomblé understands music. So, and what, what my, my informant, Sandra Lima, particularly has reported is that there are certain 
certain patterns and certain songs that pretty much no, no matter what is the situation, when she listens to those patterns, she falls into possession. And I found that fascinating. So I just followed that and tried to see how she sees her experience of the music and in, in, in how that relates to, to the experience of, uh, of Candomblé. So this was very useful for me to kind of uh, place Sandra's experience in the, in the secular realm. So speaking of this process of, of possession and the, the spirit um, uh, become manifested in the, the bodies of the initiates, in your article, you use this concept of somaesthetics to um, explain this relationship between how uh, music operates on the body or interacts with the body to enable what you were just describing, this, this possession um, process. Can you elaborate a little bit more on somaesthetics? Somaesthetics was developed by uh, philosopher uh, Richard Shusterman during the 1990s, uh, primarily as a field of uh, inquiry centering the body. So in a, in a way which I approach it is more in a, in a way of a framing aesthetics, like a theory of, of aesthetics that is centered in the body, as opposed to a more, more detached understanding of aesthetics, of, of beauty, of that was proposed by, by Kant and, and his followers. So following on this, uh, Shasterman proposes basically uh, a field of study of, uh, of bodily practices and, uh, and also a way of using these practices for, to improve our awareness of our bodily sensations. And he, he believes that this, uh, this leads to, uh, to a higher art of living. With the use of, of Shusterman, I want to, well, first of all, emphasize that aspects of the experience of this uh, of spirit possession can be seen as, an, as enjoyable. If we look at what happens in, uh, of how spirit possession is seen in many places in Brazil and in other places, uh, the phenomenon of spirit possession is sometimes seen as a losing ourselves or kind of losing our consciousness or or weakening our consciousness or some, some type of altered state of consciousness where we lose our capacity to control what is going on. And through some aesthetics, I believe it is, it is possible to frame the experience of uh, the, these, these trance-like experiences when listeners are, are experiencing music up in, in the secular context as something that is more centered in, in pleasure and where they have more agency. So this takes us to Humpelez and uh, Sandra's relationship with them and also perhaps Humpelez's relationship just in general with practitioners of Candomblé. So what, what is that relationship? How, how is Humpelez drawing upon this Candomblé tradition? How explicit is that connection for the musicians and how does that relate to their fan base? So Humpilés, uh, let me see. I mean, Humpilés, first of all, Humpilés is not unique in the sense that this is, Humpilés is kind of following a, a, a long tradition of, of popular groups that have taken inspiration in, in Candomblé, in particular of jazz groups that have used Candomblé as an inspiration. Now they are, in what they are unique is that they, that they are more, <clears throat> they have designed a compositional method and they are quite rigorous about following that, that method. For example, the, 
<clears throat> the, com the, the composer explains that he's transferring, basically, transferring drumming patterns from the three different drums into the horns, following up the principle that the, you know, the lowest pitch drum patterns are played by the lowest pitch horns and so on. Yeah, so the in, in the middle the middle range drum patterns are are played by the middle range horns and so on. The different riffs that they play can be related in one way or another. Sometimes more explicitly, sometimes more more loosely to patterns that you would find in candomblé. So each of the pieces is inspired at least in one candomblé toque, in one candomblé groove. That means that they use the timeline pattern played by the by the bell in that particular groove. And they try to transfer those drum patterns and the variations, particularly the, the, the drum variations of the low, of the master drummer, to the different to the different horns. They have uh, also uh, <clears throat> replaced the typical rhythm section of a big band of, of the drum set and piano and, and double bass and so on by five percussionists who play a collection of instruments, including candomblé drums in, in, in the agogo, the bell, and also carnival drums from the, from the Bloco Afro tradition, carnival tradition from, from Bahia. So some of the pieces that are inspired in candomblé, they play the patterns. Sometimes they play the patterns more or less verbatim. So, so you have a series of recordings that demonstrates the relationship between candomblé drum patterns and the music of Orchestra Jumpilés. Yes. The following toque, um, and toque is, uh, is a word that is used in Bahia and in Brazil to refer to groove, as in, in a collection of patterns that are played uh, simultaneously, forming a polyrhythmic texture. The, the name of this groove is Ilu, and is dedicated to a, to a deity called uh, Iansa. So first, the timeline pattern will be introduced by the agogo or the bell, and it goes like um, etc. Then uh, uh, two other accompanying drums join. have an example of a piece called Temporal, where Orchestra Jumpilés transfers this, uh, this groove ilu from the drums to the horns, more specifically in the, in the low-pitched horns. interesting things that the orchestra does is that they take timeline patterns and they modify them. So sometimes they expand them, sometimes they contract them. And, uh, and uh, an example of that is in the piece Fe 
Feira de Sete Portas, a piece that is inspired in a traditional uh, timeline pattern called Ijesha, which is a very, very well-known pattern in, uh, in Bahia that, uh, that goes more or less like this. Tiring, kong, korong, king, king, kong, kong, tiring, kong, korong, king, king, kong, kong, king. And in Feiras de Portas, what they do is that they cut the last stroke of the pattern, forming a pattern that uh, that has seven fast pulsations, something like this. Tiring, tong, torong, ting, ting, tong, tiring, tong, torong, king, king, kong, king. And enhance the name of the piece, Feira de Sete Portas, which roughly translates fair or market of seven gates. And this is the name of a famous market in the city of, uh, of Salvador. So this, sometimes they are they are more or less recognizable depending on how you know how deep your knowledge of, of candomblé music and aesthetics is. Now audiences like Sandra, who who are uh, you know very knowledgeable of the tradition, they are able to identify sometimes melodies that are so. This piece that I analyzed uh, for for the article Floresta Azul, uh, the main theme is actually a song that is that is uh, that is used in, in candomblé for for. Orisha Oshosi, one of the one of these deities of hunting and, and the forest. Let's hear a field recording of this Kanamblay song for Oshosi. <laughs> so within Candomblé, this piece is called Oke Ode and is dedicated to the Orisha Oshosi. And now we're going to hear uh, the piece Floresta Azul, which is inspired in, the, in, in, in this Orisha, Oshosi, and uses this, the melody of this piece. of the drama are played there verbatim so they you can see you can hear not only see but hear many many of these candomblé elements there so you mentioned that you were somewhat surprised at the positive response that many candomblé initiates had to this recontextualization of candomblé musical practices within a secular context for sandra and for many other audiences that is not problematic and i was i was actually surprised because this you know there's a very strong uh, discourse among the practitioners of candomblé of, of secrecy and and, and uh, respect of the tradition and not exposure of candomblé elements and uh, in in the public sphere and uh, and they are very very uh, they have a very politicized discourse very uh, they have been active in the black consciousness movement, many of the religious leaders. So they're very aware of all these issues of, of representation. And I, I even spoke with one of the most conservative uh, spiritual leaders in, in Bahia. And, and, uh, 
and she was uh, she was very pleased with what with, with what they were doing. And uh, so what I have, uh, what I think is 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 happening is that Humpilés is very is very careful. The director of Humpilés, Lechieres Leche, his musical activity and his creative activity, he approaches it in a very I'm going to use this term a spiritual way. So he, when he's interviewed and uh, asked to, to to explain how he has composed the music, to what public he's he's uh, he's thinking about, and all this, he he always he always refers to to Candomblé in a very respectful way. In introducing certain pieces on the stage, he says, "Okay, this piece is called Alafia. This is a, this is a word that is used within the Candomblé world." And uh, he says, I, ca- I cannot explain anything about this piece because I'm not authorized. So, but I, there's a person in the orchestra who can explain that to you. So he invites Gabi Gages and Gabi Gages gives an explanation. So this, they have this kind of uh, ways of communicating to the audience that they are aware that there are elements in Candomblé that you shouldn't reveal and that they are careful not to do it. That they have a person uh, or various persons within the orchestra who know how to handle secret information, and uh, and I think that is having a strong effect on on the audiences because they can recognize not only faces but in the in the in their actions here. So, yeah. the connection between music and ritual have long been studied by ethnomusicologists. How how does this study help further our understanding of ritual? So what I'm doing here is trying to understand ritual music played in non in non-ritual context if, if you wish and that what i use what i did is is try to find a vocabulary that is relevant and that is uh grounded emically to explain how this how this happens so my let's say my my major finding or, or contribution would be just explaining how this this enjoyment of the music starts that path of of uh, or of, of spirit possession and uh, and reaches one point and the, and then the listener has the power to stop there to not to not continue which is something that uh, oftentimes is not really associated with what happens in 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 trance-like experiences in, in the ritual context, that the, the listener is more at the mercy of what what happens. It's an external force that comes and takes over. Whereas in this other context, the listener is content. Reaching that state and then kind of kind of kind of has has control, has agency, and and uh, so that is yeah. So I think that my contribution goes more along those lines and showing how this you know aesthetic. Uh, Trance and possession becomes a, an aesthetic ideal, but the, the listener doesn't lose uh, agency. Juan Diego Diaz Meneses is a postdoctorate visiting fellow at the University of Essex. He obtained his PhD in ethnomusicology from the University of British Columbia in 2014 and primarily specializes in Bayan musical styles. His article, Listening with the Body and Aesthetics of Spirit Possession Outside the Teheu, can be found in the winter 2016 issue of the journal Ethnomusicology. 
Ethnomusicology Today is produced with the help and support of many people. Thanks to our student research and production assistants, Grace Coleman and Todd Johnson, consulting editor, Harry Berger, and our advisory board members, Portia Maltby, Les Gay, Martin Stokes, David Kaminsky, and Leon Garcia Corona. Additional support and encouragement has been provided by SEM President Ann Rasmussen, past president Beverly Diamond, and first vice president Travis Jackson, and SEM Executive Director Stephen Stimfley. Thanks again to Juan Diego Diaz Menezes for talking with us about his research. This podcast is produced by the Society for Ethnomusicology in collaboration with KRUI, with support from the University of Iowa College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Iowa Center for Research by Undergraduates. Mm-hmm.